A man was held captive in a prison. His room was several stories up from the ground and below there was a moat surrounding the prison, so escape was not easy. But one night he devised a plan. He knotted several rags together to form a sort of rope which he used to climb down the prison wall. It was winter, so the moat was frozen solid. He landed safely and began to scurry away across the ice. A guard spotted him, however, and quickly gave chase. The man ran as fast as he could on the smooth, slippery surface, and just as he was nearing the edge and solid ground, he heard a crack and a splash behind him. The guard had fallen through the ice and was crying out for help, floundering in the cold water. The man paused. He was light after spending a long time in the prison and eating the little food they had given him there, so the ice could support his weight. What should he do now? Should he keep running toward freedom and safety, or turn around and help the guard whose job it was to keep him locked up? It sounds like a parable, doesn't it? I suppose it is, but it's not fiction. This is a true story. The man fleeing was Dirk Willems, a Mennonite in the Netherlands in the 16th century. His faith was considered heretical by the Roman Catholic Church at the time, and it's for this reason that he had been held captive. And he's remembered to this day because he turned around on the ice and pulled the guard out of the frozen water, risking his own freedom to save another's life. It is a remarkable story, and it came to mind for me this week in Uh, because it is a sort of Good Samaritan story, one that in some ways resembles that most famous of all of Jesus's parables. We know this story, right? In the list of famous Bible texts, this one is pretty close to the top. We know the cast of characters, the man lying injured by the side of the road, the robbers off in the distance somewhere, the religious leaders who pass by, the Samaritan who finally stops, the patient innkeeper who nurses the man back to health. We know the surprise to the story, that it's the foreigner, the one from another group, another tradition, who embodies and exemplifies mercy. We even know the punchline, right? Go and do likewise. We know the story backwards and forwards. It is as familiar as Bible texts come. But we know something else besides we know that knowing a story is not the same thing as putting it into practice, right? I have known this story since I was a child. I can't remember a time when I didn't know these characters and this plot. And yet, when I read it closely again, I am struck by how strange and radical it still seems, by how little my actions usually resemble those of the Samaritan. I can know this story and still pass by people in great need. I can know it and still draw lines around who I think of as a neighbor, as somebody whose life makes a claim on mine. I can know it and still be too busy or too self-absorbed to act in compassion toward another person. I can know it and still not go and do likewise. I'm pretty sure I am not alone in that predicament. Something tells me that if Christians over the centuries had consistently lived out this parable in concrete ways, we would have a very different story to tell today. 
Knowing a story is not the same thing as putting it into practice. I know that from personal experience. Maybe you do too. And I realized that this week, that in that sense, I fit right into this gospel reading. Because this text has plenty of characters, just like me, people who know what is right and yet find ways to avoid doing it. There's that lawyer to begin with, the expert in Jewish law who stands up to test Jesus. He clearly knows his stuff. Jesus tells him as much when the lawyer quotes from Deuteronomy and Leviticus, citing love of God and love of neighbor as the heart of the law. You've given the right answer, Jesus says. Well done. The trouble starts when Jesus commands him to put that right answer into practice. Do this and you will live, Jesus says, and all of a sudden the lawyer wants to put some limits on what this means. Exactly which people do I need to love? Who is my neighbor? The lawyer knows what the law says. He knows that the law doesn't let you pick and choose your neighbor, and yet he avoids putting that into practice. And the story that Jesus then tells in response has two more characters cut from the same cloth. The two figures who pass by the man bleeding by the roadside are a priest and a Levite. These are two more people who know what the law says. They're religious leaders, people who've done their studying as well, and they know, like the lawyer, that loving God and loving your neighbor are what God commands. And yet in Jesus' parable, they don't stop to help the man in need. They pass by on the other side, like me, when I dismiss the needs of someone else, like me, when I delete the email asking for my financial contribution. The story puts the question before us in no uncertain terms. Why is it that we avoid doing what's right when we know full well what's called, what's asked of us? I'm sure there are lots of answers we can give to that question. We're busy, we say. The needs are overwhelming. We're not sure what we have to offer. We're not sure those people, whoever they are, are really our responsibility. We've got our own lives to live, our own needs to take care of. There are all sorts of reasons we might give for passing by human need on the other side of the road. But I was captivated this week by what Martin Luther King Jr. said about this particular story. In his very last sermon, given in Memphis, Tennessee in 1968, he spoke about the parable of the Good Samaritan, among other things. And in wondering about why the priest and the Levite didn't stop to help the injured man, King suggested that perhaps they were afraid. The road to Jericho was a wilderness road, still is, I think, desolate and largely deserted, and it was a perfect place for bandits. What happened to the man on the road was hardly an isolated incident in the first century. And you know, it's possible, King said, that the priest and the Levite looked over that man on the ground and wondered if the robbers were still around, or wondered if the man were faking it, trying to lure them into a trap. It's an uncertain and dangerous situation he finds himself in. And so the first question that the priest and the Levite asked was based in fear. If I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? That's an understandable question, right? And probably familiar to all of us. Oftentimes we know what we ought to do, but what will happen to us if we actually do it? Might we find ourselves 
in danger? Might we find ourselves with uncomfortable demands on our time or our finances? Might we find ourselves taken in a direction we didn't see coming? King suggests that the priest and the Levite ask that question first. If I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But the Samaritan started with a different question. If I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? It is a small shift, but it is a remarkable one. It's the shift from starting with self-preservation to starting with compassion, from self-centeredness to solidarity, from fear to mercy. You can know what is right. You can be an expert in it even, but it's finally that great shift inside and out that is demanded of us. The shift from if I stop to help, what will happen to me? To if I don't stop to help, what will happen to him? What will happen to her? King was in Memphis in support of the city's sanitation workers who were on strike. They were suffering horrible working conditions and calling for change. And King's appeal was for everybody to join in with them, for everyone to stand with the workers who were injured by the side of the road in that moment. Either we go up together or we go down together, he said. Let us develop a kind of dangerous unselfishness. I think that is a wonderful phrase, dangerous unselfishness. It is certainly what this parable calls for. It is what the Samaritan finally showed. It is also what Dirk Willems exhibited 1,500 years later when he turned around on the ice and gave his hand to the guard. You might have been wondering how that story ended, or perhaps you know already. Willems saved the guard's life, and in return, the guard wanted to let him go. But the head of the prison would not hear of it. Willems was returned to his cell that day, and a few months later was burned at the stake as a heretic. I wish that story had a happier ending. I'm sure we all do. But of course, that's not finally the point. The point is obeying God. The point is obeying the command to love, whatever the danger, whatever the consequences. The point is finally the world that we are helping to create with our actions. Are we helping to create a world of self-centeredness and division, a world of alienation and every person for themselves, or one where we are neighbors to one another, where we treat others with the mercy God has shown to us? I have no idea if I would have the courage to do what Willems did that day. But I think that is why we keep coming back to a story like the Good Samaritan time and again to let it sink in deep and do its work in us so that over time we not only know it, but learn to practice it. So that we turn from asking, if I stop, what will happen to me? To asking, if I don't stop, what will happen to her? So that we find a dangerous unselfishness where all the old distinctions fall away and everyone, everyone is our neighbor. Thanks be to God. Amen.